Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. Uh, all things centerfire and rimfire. Uh, glad to be with y'all again. I got a little bit of a shorter interval between the, the podcast this time. We're going to start up in the up in the quantity of this and hopefully upping the quality. Um, I'm going to get right into this because as going with upping the quality of the podcast, I have a guest with me today that's going to talk to us about barrels. His name is Frank Green. Frank, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Jacob? Uh, no complaints at all. No complaints at all. You know, it's just uh, when, whenever it comes to barrels, you know, there, there's those those names that are out there, you know, Schillen, Krieger, uh, Bartland, uh, Proof, everything else. And I, I want to I wanted to visit with you about about Bartland barrels. Uh, I've been using Bartland barrels for a long time. I've used other manufacturers as well. Uh, I've never had a bad barrel from you guys. And I wanted to get you on here just to to kind of answer some questions. And again, like I told you, you know, before we got on that, you know, I, we have a question question uh, email that comes into here. And so we'll get to one of those here in just a minute, whenever it rolls around there. But what I want to sure. do, I just like to ask you, how, how did you start with, how did you start with Bartlett? I know you and I have spoken about this before and it was a very interesting story. You want to care to share? <laughs> um, well, just, I'll just, I'll leave the, I'll go with the short version. Um, so me, for myself, Tracy and uh, Andy, we started the place. Um, There's quite a few guys here that used to work at Creator, just like Trace and I did. And the short version is how Bartline started was we got let go. We got fired from Krieger. Okay. So our, and why, and the reasons why it doesn't matter, it's water over the bridge. Our problem, mine and Trace's problem starting Bartline was we knew everything. We knew how to do everything. Mm-hmm. Turning, drilling, rifling, reaming, we knew everything. Our problem was we didn't have equipment. Right. And the hardest thing, the hardest machines to find are cut rifling machines, and probably even harder yet is the boring machine. Right. So there's been no, basically no new machines built since World War II, other than you know some people trying some stuff here and there. Right. But we basically sat down and built our own new rifling machine tooling still plays a part and that's similar but it's all cnc technology is the way the machine runs okay very good so how long did it take y'all before you got your machines and you were up and running y'all y'all know how to do this and now you need tools how long did that take well um we incorporated an in 04 um we didn't actually test the rifle machine until like the beginning of November of 05. Okay. So it literally took us a solid year for us to build the machine. Okay. Um, once the, as the machine was getting built, you know, we're working out our stuff, you know, making tooling, ordering stuff here and there. Um, I was the first full-time employee mm-hmm. and um, probably for about six months or maybe even a year, I was the only employee on the books. Okay. And, um, so once the machine was built, of course, we had tools and stuff ready to go. We had to test, you know, we had a test machine because if the machine didn't work, barline barrels wasn't going to happen. So um, first barrels we did were 30 cals. So I contacted another barrel maker. Someone needed to, you know, I needed to get, we needed to get drilled and reamed blanks from somebody to, to test the machine. Right. So the first barrels we did were 30 cals. And a, a quick funny story was the very first barrel we made as it was coming up the size on the grooves, Trace goes, wow, the, the valley's all over the place. I go, well, pull it out. We're not going to sell it to anybody. Let's look at it. He goes, no, it's getting close to being done. Let's, let's let the machine run. And uh, he pulled it out. He cleaned the bore out. He looked out and 
I go, what's so funny? He goes, you look down and you tell me what's wrong. We had a right hand hook tool and we were cutting a left hand twist. Yeah. We didn't think about twist direction. I'm setting up, I'm programming the machine. So it, it right away it showed us how accurately the machine cut the twist, the twist rate. Okay. If that would have been on an old Pratt machine like we had at Krieger and stuff like that, the tooling never would have made it. We would have, we would have scrapped the barrel and scrapped the tooling. So we quick did a program, modified the program. So now we can do left and right hand twist. And uh, we, we put another barrel in right hand twist. Uh, we finished that barrel probably like around, it was really like, it was like around midnight that day, that night. And we all left. I came in first thing in the morning, threaded, chambered it, put it on the gun. Trace and Andy came over when they got off of work that next day because they were still working regular jobs. You yep. know, we, we had to make a living in the meantime. Right. And we went to the range and no breaking, no cleaning. I grabbed box black kills through a match ammo, 175 grains, and put 50 rounds through the gun. No breaking, no cleaning. That gun, it, the last group I fired at 200 yards was a clean quarter-inch group. The gun literally shot in the threes the whole time. Wow. And that was just your first your first rattle out of the box, your first try. Yep, first one. In fact, the barrel number one is stamped left-hand twist. It's sitting here in my office. And that barrel that we tested on the gun, we actually made the twist change. That's actually polished and sitting in the glass cabinet. So <laughs> nice. So let me ask you, what, what's the deal with what's the difference? With, I mean, I know right hand and left hand twist. Why would why would someone go with a left hand twist? There's really no reason. Um, if you look back at the old British Lee Enfield, if you look at um, the U.S. 1917 Enfield, and even though they were 30 out six and the pattern 14 Enfield, which were 303, those were all left-hand twist barrels. All 303 Enfield barrels, for whatever reason, why the British did it, they're left-hand twist. It's standard. Okay. So there are, believe it or not, a couple of calibers that are standard. So if you call me up and let's say you work at Federal Cartridge, and you say, hey, Frank, I need a 303 Enfield pressure test barrel. The spec is left-hand twist. Well, that particular case, we have to do a left-hand twist. Okay. There are some people that... Um, believe that being in the northern hemisphere if you run a left-hand twist barrel it helps with the Coriolis effect for long-range shooting um I'm going to tell you I don't even if you're a guy that can hold maybe a quarter minute change on the on the on the target or on the gut or holding the gun and pulling the trigger even at a thousand yards I don't think left-hand twist barrel is going to offset the rotation of the earth you know what, Frank? We're gonna leave. We're gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. If you want it, we can make it for you. The other thing is, is that some people believe, and and again, it's right-handed shooter versus left-handed shooter. Mm-hmm. If you ever heard of the barrel maker Pulp, he was he he made his barrels mostly shoots and fest guns late 1900s. Um, he would only make left-hand twist barrels, but you have to remember back then an off-hand gun. A standard caliber was like forty sixty three, and they were throwing a three hundred and thirty grain bullet out of a ten and a half pound rifle. One of his arguments for the left hand twist was for a right handed shooter that the shooter could control the torque of the gun better, and this follow through and everything was better, and it helped him shoot the gun better. Okay. I don't know if that applies to a three hundred eight or a six mil because you're not slinging a three hundred thirty grain bullet through the gun, you know. But there are some belief. There are some people that do believe that that is true. So, a left-hand twist would be for a right-handed shooter. If you're a right-handed shooter, you want a left-handed a left-handed twist. 
me being a lefty myself, I will tell you, I have gone with guns to the range, like a 1917 Enfield, an old three Springfield, one being the left hand and one being right hand. The gun does torque differently. It does put pressure on your face and react differently. But does it make a difference in accuracy in the real world? I don't think so. All right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. <clears throat> okay. Well, that, that was just a, that was just a, a question I wanted to throw in there. Can, can you, yeah. can, whenever y'all first started out, I mean, y'all were getting out barrels pretty quick. I think now y'all are, y'all have a pretty good lead time. I mean, you just got to, what's going on with that? I mean, I know that um, you've got uh, quite a few, quite a few orders stacked up, huh? Well, prior to the whole COVID blowing up in our face in early 2020, and then it being the election year, and then it being all the riots were going on. Even before that started, I think our lead back then were probably around maybe six to eight months. Okay. Um, might have been a little bit longer, on and off. It all depends on the workload. That's, that's one thing that we can't predict is orders and work coming in. We're basically a custom shop. Okay. And you can say that we're a custom shop on a production basis, but we're basically a custom shop. And some people say, well, why don't you make barrels for inventory? I go, I can't predict that. If my luck, I'd make, I'd make 50, 30 cal, 10 twist barrels, heavy varmint contour for inventory. And the next orders over the next month, everybody would want 11 twists. And then the barrels would sit there. Or the hot calorie would be six millimeters. So we can't predict, forecast what's going to happen. And it's how do we make inventory when I have a customer waiting six months for a barrel to begin with. Okay. So, so back to the whole COVID and election year and everything, all of a sudden in such a short amount of time and on top of the COVID year, I think there were something like seven point some million first time gun owners in the United States. Now this might not apply to a PRS guy or F class and stuff like that. But it does in a grand scheme of things because the amount of orders that came in in such a short amount of time, and I'm sure you've heard, you've dealt with it, or everybody's dealt with it, with looking for ammo and bullets and powder and everything. You can't find anything. Right. And for us, it was the same thing. So it wasn't just Jacob calling up and ordering, hey, Frank, I need 265 and 230 cals. We had people like you and everybody else calling and, and wanting stuff. But the demand for ammunition test barrels also went through the roof. Right. So all these places, Hornady, Federal Cartridge, all these places that make ammunition or test powder or test bullets, they all need barrels to do all that testing, too. So the demand in 2020 just kind of went through the roof, and it, and it went right into 2021. And as of right now, I want to say it's backing off a little bit. But for the most part, it's holding steady. So right now we're quoting, we're basically quoting right around 12 months for a barrel. Okay. All right. So order your barrel, order your suppressor. Hopefully they get out of jail at the same time. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, I just did paperwork on two suppressors like a month ago and I stopped in the shop because they had some powder I needed. Yeah. The guy goes, just a powder, Frank? I go, not unless my paperwork came in for the suppressors. He goes, no. I go, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, Frank, how how do you build a barrel start to finish? <clears throat> Try to make it a short version as possible. So all of our steel comes directly from the mill. We don't buy from a generic warehouse or anything like that. Okay. The one thing that we don't make is the steel. 
Okay. So we are totally reliant on the mill or whoever we're working with if they're making good material. Once it's being made to spec and it's being made the right way, he treated and double stress relieved and in two separate operations of the stress relieving. So the, the, steel, the steel comes in, um, we cut the bars to length usually, whatever we need. So usually the bars will come in 12 to 16 feet long and we'll cut them as we need them. After they're cut, um, short version, they get faced, they get gun drilled. Okay. So like a 30 cal, your, your bore is 300, 308. We use like a 292 drill. Okay. Takes about, for rough numbers, an inch per minute on feed rate for the drills. So if you're drilling a 30 inch long barrel, it's going to take you 30 minutes to drill it. Okay. Okay. After the blank is drilled, um, there's some minor operations that go on, cutting centers and stuff like that. Then the barrel goes into turning. So if, if you ordered a heavy varmint contour 30 cal, mm-hmm. the, one of the guys in turning will pull up that program or have to modify the program if need be. And then he'll contour. You'll put the shape on the outside of it. Okay. After turning, then the barrel goes over to bore reaming. So right now the hole is still at 0.292. Okay. So you're about eight thou under size. Right. So we're going to pull a reamer through it. The reamer's going to get pulled through at about two, um, I'm sorry, 0.2995. The reamer's going to give you a better finish than what the drill did. Mm-hmm. And it takes you closer to size. But now we're half a thou under size. Okay. After reaming, I still call it pre-lapping, or if you want to call it honing, um, it goes, and we did all the R&D testing for sun and hone, um, long, small, whole honing machines. And um, there are very few calibers we still pre-lap by hand. But then it'll get honed. So we'll take it, we'll call it pre-lap, and we'll take that half a thou out. We'll bring it up to 0.300. Okay. Okay, after it's, after it, that gives you even a better finish than what the reamer left. After it's honed, and it's checked for size and everything before it gets pulled out. The honing will take, so, okay, let me back up a second. Contouring, depending on the contour of the barrel, we can contour the barrel in about 15 minutes. Okay. If it's more complicated, we spend a couple hours contouring a barrel. It all depends on what the, what the end product has to be for the customer. So then after turning, reaming takes about 10 minutes. Pre-lapping or honing takes another 10 minutes. Okay. So between drilling, the honing and, and um, reaming and turning operations, you have about two hours into the barrel already. Okay. Okay. After the barrel is honed and it's ready for rifling, um, they'll set it up. It goes in the rifling machine. So the rifling machine, we do single point cut rifling. We don't do button. We don't do broach cutting. We don't do hammer forging. So cut rifling, we're physically cutting one groove at a time. So if it starts out in your groove number one, the, the cutter's going to get pulled, breach the muzzle. Mm-hmm. It's going to cut a tenth of a thou out, roughly. It feeds back through that groove, then it indexes to groove number two. Okay. And then it repeats the process. So if you're doing a five-groove barrel, it's going to do that five times. After it does all five grooves, the machine's going to raise the tool, and it's going to start back at groove number one again, and it'll cut another tenth out. Okay. You don't cut one groove to size. You cut them all uniformly each way and then you, you bring everything up a size uniformly okay once the machine is done so for a 30 cal 300 bore three-way groove but to get the three-way groove you're measuring across the barrel so each groove is only four thousandths deep okay that's how much your land stick up only a four thousand right 
Okay, so once the machine gets up to 3080, usually we'll take it a tenth or two over. You don't want to be under spec. Mm -hmm. That can drive up pressures and everything. Right. The machine will pause. The guy will double check the barrel for size. Yep, I'm at 308 plus a tenth or two. He turns the machine off, pulls the barrel out. And as he's getting that barrel cleaned up, he's getting the machine ready to load another barrel in right away. He'll get the machine going. He cleans up the barrel he pulled out. He'll uh, clean it out with solvent, dry it out. Then we'll cast a lead lap, and each lead lap that gets cast is per barrel. Every barrel is an individual. Okay. There are some barrel makers that will use the same lap for multiple barrels, and that's a no-no. Okay. Um, so what we do is we'll cast a lead lap, let the lap cool, then we'll apply lapping compound to it, and then we'll finish lap the barrel. Finish lapping is really meant as a final polish. Yes, it will change the size a tenth or two, but as a barrel maker, you should not be finished lapping to achieve size because you, it, you're just going to wreck the barrels and you're going to have non-uniform results inside the bores. Okay. So it's meant as a final finish. It should not be done to change or to achieve size. I've heard of shops where they made a button barrel and it was a foul undersize, and then they'll try and lap it up. But if you can picture tight and loose spots going down the whole length of the barrel, that's what you're going to end up with. Right. So after finish lapping, and you've seen the blanks, um, it gets all the information, gets stamped on the breech face, it yep. gets socked up, and heads out to the customer. All right. So the rifling it, will take about, depending on the caliber, the number of grooves, that'll take about an hour and a half average, maybe okay. two hours. So we're going to have about three and a half hours into each barrel if you if you would if you would time one out from start to finish. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow, there's a, there's a lot that goes to that. Um, the I, you had you and I had spoken. We you'd send some pictures and you'd show me the the button rifling process. What is that? I mean, it, it looks like that there's not. We're basically compressing the metal rather than cutting it out. So button rifling displaces material. It does not remove material. Okay. So for example, if you're doing a three hundred, if you're doing a thirty cal barrel, three hundred three oh eight. Um, so that one picture I sent you of the button, that's actually called a combination button. If you look at that picture, the part that's going right into the barrel, mm -hmm. you can see the little grooves, well, they're going to form your lands. Right. And if you look at the button, the button looks pregnant. It's got two bumps on it. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. The front bump is what's called the bore finishing side of the button. So to get a 308 barrel, your, it'll change. Your button size will vary with the steel lots too. Okay. So to get a three-way groove, you may be pulling a 311.5 or a 312 diameter button because you're not removing the material, you're displacing it. Okay. And when that button goes down the barrel, the barrel can't have any shape on it either because if you have a different wall thickness on the blank, it'll play hell with your sizes because the steel is going to expand right. and relax or spring back differently. See, that's one thing we don't have to do. We turn everything typically before rifling. If there's any stress in the blank, it'll show up during turning. If the barrel bows, our terminology for bending, we throw it away. The customer never sees it. Right. Button rifling, you have to do it as a blank. Okay. Then a good button rifler will restress or leave the material again, and then they'll turn it. But there's one thing that we can't measure for, no barrel maker can measure for, is, is what I call residual stress in the steel. Okay. And when they turn it, and they, after they stress relieve it, if you had a residual, what I call residual stress point in the material, some people call it differently, 
usually the bowl will open up. It'll go sour on you. And okay. when it goes bigger, you cannot make it go back. It right. is what it is. Okay. So, so some button makers have different grades of barrels, and that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the uniformity of the bore. Okay. All right. Well, I've, you know, I've spent, you know, my my deal here is a, as a shooter. You know, I'm, a, I'm an end user mm-hmm. of, of your product. Right. And so I, I kind of liken a lot of this to... Okay, it's like me watching TV. You know, I can I can turn it on and I can change channels and I can change the volume, but I really have no idea how that TV works or how it's made. You know what I mean? And so right, and seeing and like us with the with the cut rifling, one you know the tooling plays a little bit of a part, but we can give the customer any twist they want. Right, and it's consistent and it's uniform. That button, when you look at those little lines in there, that's got the twist built into the lance. If that button hits a hard spot or a soft spot in a steel, typically it'll slow the button down. It can speed back up, but if either one of those cases happen, you end up with a non-uniform twist. And for sizes, and I guess I should back up one more step real quick further too, I usually say there's four things that make a really good barrel, and there's no debating them. Is I tell people the more the straighter the blank, the more uniform your bore and groove sizes are over the length of the barrel, the more uniform the twist and the more stress-free it is, the more forgiving the barrel is going to be. And there's no debate in that stuff. Okay. But um, th- th- that's a big difference between us and like button and hammer forge barrels. Okay. And so like wh- me as the end user, um, how am I going to say what, what differences in, in performance in cleaning and barrel life in, in uh, just accuracy, what am I going to see whenever I screw one of these onto my gun? What, what's 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 going to be my benefit for all of this painstaking work that you're doing? Well, um, one, you know, the old saying is you get what you pay for. Yeah. And it applies to guns. It applies to optics. It applies to barrels. It applies to everything. So all those things I stated about what makes a good barrel, a good barrel is a good barrel. It's going to shoot good for you. But what you're paying for in terms of if you compare us to somebody else it's the consistency from one barrel to the next. Okay. And so the nicer the finish, the bore, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. Look at some of the factory rifles. You look how rough some of the bores are mm-hmm. and some of them will copper foul so bad. They won't hold accuracy. So the nicer the bore finish is one that helps reduce your following. Okay. And that also helps the gun shoot better for a longer period of time. And we can get into barrel wear and cleaning and stuff like that down the road. Oh no, um, we're we're going to, but let me twist. let me stop you right here. We're oh, we're, we're going to get but into the, that. The, uni- let- the uniformity of twists mm-hmm. helps helps the flight of the bullet too. You know, you wanted the twist to be fast enough to stabilize the bullets you're shooting, but the more uniform the twist, to me, the more forgiving the barrel is going to be. It's not going to be what I call load temperamental. Okay, it'll be much more forgiving as far as the type of ammo, bullets, powder, the powder and stuff you run through the barrel, okay. and um. And like I said, how they clean, you know, it, it all goes back to, you can, you can buy, you can buy the best action in the world. You can buy the best chassis in the world, put the best scope on there. I tell guys, you can put a, you can put a mediocre barrel on there and it might shoot good. It might not. You can, you can have an okay action. So let's say I'm comparing a, a Remington 700 to a, um, an AI rifle. Okay. So you could take an okay action like a Remington or Savage, put it in a good stock, do a good betting job. You could put a really good barrel on there and have a good scope and stuff. 
usually end up with a very good rifle. So the, the action of the stock, that's your that's your chassis and your body of your car, the barrel's the engine. Right. You you know, it, it's it, again you can you can build an okay engine or you can build a real killer streetcar engine. It's it's what do you want out of it? Right. Well, like I said, I wanted to stop you there and ask you a, a question here. And this is, in my business, I would have a group of, say, 12 to 15 people show up to take a class. And mm-hmm. we have, we we have, I mean, exactly the same rifle that were bought on exactly the same contract. And typically, this is going to be 308 or, or 300 windbag. But I'm just, I'm just referring to the 308, um, 762.51. And so as we're going down and we're going through the class and we're gathering, we're gathering downrange data, drop data, things like that. We can notice some really significant differences in the dope between one barrel and the next. And these guns are, Mm -hmm. these guns are almost, almost serial number light, you know, in, in succession. So I know that these are, you know, production guns, things like that. And are, are right. you telling me that if I went over and I got, okay, I, I take both my accuracy internationals and I screw on uh, two Bartland barrels that were made, you know, one right after the other. Are you saying that my downrange data that I'm going to get is going to be more consistent because of this stuff that we're doing? Because I know that there's a right. lot of inconsistencies with some of those production guns that are out there. And and you're saying that. Oh, sure. And so that's that, those, what you explained are some of the reasons that we are seeing those inconsistencies. Yes. Sure. And what some guys go, well, you know, you can get into velocities. You know, let's say two guns are both brand new. And I'm not, I'm not, when I say manufacturers, I'm not, I'm not picking or hacking on anybody, okay? Oh, I know. So let's say a guy shows up with brand A rifle, basically custom built, all high-end stuff. And another guy shows up with a, um, a factory built XYZ rifle. Mm-hmm. What you and I don't know is, what do they hold the barrel itself to tolerances? Some manufacturers, I've seen production barrels up to two thou oversize. Mm-hmm. The other thing is what chamber reamer was put into it. Yeah. Is, was it, is it a, a good match type spec chamber or are they running a production plus a two thou tolerance chamber? Okay. So that's going to affect your throat specs, your throat dimensions. That's going to affect your velocities and, and your accuracy and everything. All right. So you, there's a lot of variables that, that, you know, two guys show up in a line with both with 300 wind mags, but they're completely different guns. You can get two different data. And, you know, let's yep. assume both guns are brand new. Right. They're not, they're, the barrels don't have 2,000 rounds on them and they're burnt out or anything like that. Right. Yeah, the guns can perform totally different. So when you look at, think of this, when you look at load data out of a Hornady book, out of a Sierra manual, or Barnes, whatever. When you look at that load data, those test barrels have to be made to a given min spec tolerance. Right. Okay. But what is physically put on the guns, you, you could have a guy take a barline barrel and put a really crappy spec chamber reamer spec into it. That can affect accuracy and that can affect velocity. But you hear guys a lot of times will say, yeah, well, Hornady, they advertised their 165 Creedmoor load at 2,700 feet per second, but I only get 2,590. Right. Okay, but what spec is the barrel on your gun? Right. So when we make barrels for the ammunition and, and test barrel or uh, bullet makers and stuff, the barrels are made to a given spec tolerance, and they don't vary from that tolerance. 
Yeah, so, so that's going to be the same like, no matter what. Yep. And, you know, I mean, a good example would be um, one ammunition maker, I won't, make, I won't use names, they were tight. They had some tough bills from another manufacturer, and they weren't performing. They were actually, pressure was up 10,000 PSI, and the velocity was up 150 feet per second. Okay. For a box spec ammo, they have to load to a pressure spec, and which usually transforms into a velocity spec. Right. And um, they called me up and he said, hey, Frank, you know, we still have two barrels in service of yours. They're still working, but they, he goes, we know we're at the end of the barrel's life. Mm-hmm. But we're milking for everything we can get out of them because of the problems that we're having. I go, okay. He goes, how far away are the other barrels from me that we have on order? I go, well, I go, we can get them done and shipped next week. I go, we're not, we're not late on them, but I, I can get them out to you next week. He goes, okay. So we made them, shipped them. These are pressure test barrels, mm-hmm. and they use them for both pressure, velocity, and even accuracy. Okay. They got the barrels. I actually called them up next week because somebody, two guys in the shop here were actually headed out west to a PRS match, and they wanted to swing by and get some 6.5 ammo from them. Okay. And um, so they, I called them up about that a few days later, and um, – I asked him, I go, hey, did you get the barrels? You guys, you know, let me know how they work for you when you get them in there and stuff. He goes, oh, we got them yesterday, and we actually broke them in and shot them on the, on, uh, the night shift. I go, yeah. He goes, all three barrels. He goes, pressure was within 1,800 PSI, and the velocity was within 10 feet per second. That's over three barrels. Okay. I go, well, can't make them any better than that. <laughs> that goes back to consistency and the quality. Yep, yep, I got gotcha. you. I got you. Well, that's a that's a pretty pretty deep or deep dive into uh, getting getting that barrel from from start to finish and and what you guys are doing. It's a, it's much appreciated. But uh, another another big thing that always comes up uh, in the in the classes that I teach and everything else is cleaning. And I'm I'm more than certain that you and I have some differing opinions on this. But I would like to I would like to hear you know your thoughts on it. Well, you know, the first thing I'll tell you is. You know, we, you know, there's more than one way to skin this cat. Yes, sir. And, and when I, when I, when I teach classes, like I go out to, uh, um, oh, end of August, I was both at Quantico and Camp Lejeune teaching classes mm-hmm. and everything overlaps. Yeah. It's primarily on barrels and barrel making and stuff like that. But we get into shooting cause everything overlaps right. and we get into cleaning and everything else. And that first thing I'll tell the guys is. You know, like I said, there's more than one way to skin this cat. If you have a cleaning procedure that you're using and you're not wrecking the barrel, I got nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Just because the guy next to you does it differently, A, doesn't mean he's doing it better. B, he could be doing it worse. So if you're not wrecking anything and you're keeping the gun in tune and inspect, hey, man, knock yourself out. Don't change. If it's working for you and you're not wrecking nothing, don't necessarily change anything. What you see on YouTube or what you see on some guys doing at a match, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. So how I clean my stuff, I have I have two different ways of cleaning. I have my slow method and my hurry up method. Mm-hmm. Um, my hurry up method is I'm shooting a two day, four day match. I'm shooting a gun every day. Mm-hmm. I clean it every night. Mm-hmm. I go back to the range with a clean barrel the next day. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to enough class match, putting 60, 80 rounds on a day in a gun. And I'm going back to the line tomorrow and shoot three relays at a thousand with a dirty barrel. It ain't happening. Okay. So I have that's my my fast method is going to be I'll use sweet seven six two solvent. 
I run a wet patch down the barrel one after another till it comes out clean. I don't dry patch it all. If you're dry patching it, you're taking the cleaner out of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Let the chemical do its work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever if you ever use sweets before, the patches will turn blue. That's that's how they react with the copper found in the barrel. Yep, very familiar. Once, yep. Once the patches come out clean, I'll dry patch the bore thoroughly and the chamber. Then I'll get a patch soaked with Remington Forty X cleaner, mm-hmm. or if you would. JV bore compound, the blue label, not the red label, not the bore bright. And that's a, that's another topic of this conversation too. But I'll get a patch stroke with Remington 40X cleaner. I'll stroke the barrel 10 times and I'll short stroke the throat area. To me, that'll neutralize anything left over from the sweets. Mm-hmm. And if there's any residual copper or carbon, it works better on that stuff. Okay. After I dry patch that out, I give it a light coat of Hoppies number nine. In the morning, I drive past the boarding chamber, and I head to the range, and I shoot all the next day again. That's my hurry-up method. Okay. My not-hurry-up method is I shot the gun today. It was for deer hunting or, hey, I don't need the gun for two months or anything like that. I set it up on the bench. I use just regular Hoppies number nine. Okay. Not the copper solvent, just regular number nine. Wet patches one after another till they come out of the board clean. I leave the gun sit on the bench with a nose-down attitude on the muzzle. Mm-hmm. That way all your garbage runs out the muzzle, not back into your action and your stock and stuff. Mm-hmm. Come back the next day, run a couple fresh wet patches down the bore. If there's any copper in there, they'll come out green in color. Mm-hmm. And the lighter the color, the, the less copper and stuff that's in the bore. Okay. Once they come out clean, the gun gets put away. But I store all my guns with hoppies. I'll tell you, it protects as good as any oil. Okay. Just it'll partially evaporate before you shoot it. I run a fresh patch, wet patch down the bore, dry patch it thoroughly because it'll partially evaporate and it'll get thick. It'll get gummy inside the bore. Right. Um, I really don't use brushes very seldom. I only use a brush if I really feel the need to. If you start feeling that heavy, snug patch feeling up in the throat, you get mm-hmm. that carbon ring buildup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. You, there's a po- point in time where you have to. Right. Going back to like JB Boar Bright, I also bore paste, witch's brew, and I sent you a picture of the cleaning of the of the damage to the barrel with the paste cleaners, with yep. the abrasive cleaners. Yeah, I saw that. I tell guys, if you use an abrasive cleaner in conjunction with a brush, you're going to wreck the barrel. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no there's no arguments about it. You will wreck the barrel. And if you send me the barrel back in the meeting and the bore looks like that in that picture I sent to you, yeah, I'm not replacing it. Yeah, it's you wrecked it. And I'll tell you from usually within about four cleanings, the damage is irreversible. Okay. And you might not think that, but it it, it, it that one picture with those heavy gouges in the bore. Yeah, I saw that. Um. That was a 7 mil F-class barrel. The barrel started having accuracy problems at 100 rounds. Whoa. What was, what was neat about the customer, he was honest with me with everything he did. Mm-hmm. How he cleaned it, how often he cleaned it, what he was using. And we actually replicated with another gunsmith his cleaning process on a brand new barrel. And the same exact stuff happened. He was using um, KG2 bore paste. Mm-hmm. And I'm not hacking on a manufacturer. In his defense, he... He followed the clean instructions to the T, but he was using the brush. And the abrasive and the brush will, will work on each other. Yeah. That barrel started having accuracy problems at 100 rounds. The picture you see is at 800. Okay. The bore should measure 277 by 284, the bore and groove, mm-hmm. the 7 mil. 
the board measures 279 and the grooves measure 285.5. He basically polished a full two thousandth out of the barrel. Wow. Those gouges are from the bristles of the brush trying to rotate with the twist, but there's so many bristles in the brush, there is no way it's going to follow the lands and grooves perfectly. Right. What you see those gouges are, that's the bristles trying to ride up and over the tops of the lands. Mm-hmm. And by using the abrasiveness, that's where those gouges are coming from. The lands stick up, so they take the beating. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let me tell you what I do. Go ahead. <laughs> and tell me how wrong I am. Uh, not much. Um, the I'm, I really don't do anything to them at all. You know, I, I kind of shoot them until... You know, and, and my game, my game is different than F class. You know what I mean? I'm not, that's, it's a, oh, sure. it's, it's a different, diff- from, yeah, it's a different it's thing from um, F class or short yeah. range bench guys. Yeah. Oh, way sure. different than that. And it's what I do is I'll shoot that thing until the accuracy drops off and then I'll clean it. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed right. that my barrels, you know, I've had, I've had some barrels that'll go, you know, uh, 150 rounds and then it'll start to drop mm-hmm. off. So then I know to clean at a hundred. Um, I had, right. I've had one barrel, believe it or not. And I know that you're not going to believe this, but this barrel would actually go 1400 rounds before it would ever start to show any sort of accuracy drop off. So I repeated 3308762. And so I, okay. I did that twice and I noticed mm-hmm. that it was consistent. And so what I did is I pulled the barrel off the gun. I cleaned it up really, really good. I put it in a padded case and it's on my top shelf. That's like a barrel I will never get rid of because it's one of those magic barrels. But, um, okay, you, now you said something that was very key. I got to stop you for a second. Okay. You pay attention to the gun. You know what the gun's doing. Yeah. Okay. I judge my stuff by, and again, it's caliber dependent, but we'll stick with 308 right now. And I'm, okay. I'm going to hold you up for a minute here. Okay. 308 is a very forgiving caliber. Okay. I know. Yes, it's it is. It's almost the perfect case capacity for bore size. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy on barrels. Mm-hmm. But you're paying attention to it. So I judge my stuff by my gun's got to go a minimum of 100 rounds in between cleanings mm-hmm. and hold accuracy. Right. If it doesn't, usually it's a sign that the barrel's on its last legs or it's done. Get it right. off the gun. Right. Um, so when the barrel's new, a lot of people don't understand this. When the barrel's new, if Jacob calls you up and tells me, hey, man, I could put 500 rounds in the gun and it would hold half minute. Yeah, I believe that, you know, but the barrel's going to change over the course of its life. Right. It's going to get, it's going to wear, it's mm-hmm. going to foul more because that throat's getting rougher and everything. Mm-hmm. So maybe at 2,500 rounds, it won't, it won't go 500 rounds in between cleanings, but maybe it'll go 200 rounds in between cleans. Mm-hmm. What you just said was a very key thing. You're paying attention to it. You know what the gun's doing. Mm-hmm. I tell guys, you just got to learn how to read it. Right. And and to throw another little thing to this, I had a phone call one time from a Marine Sniper in Afghanistan. He was on downtime and he wanted to order a half a dozen barrels for him and some of the guys in the outfit. And one of the questions he had for me one time on the phone, or by email, I forget now which, he goes, my issued weapon is three-way sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. He goes, I have a question for you. He goes, if I clean it, the first two rounds won't even be on target at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. I go, okay. He's after that, the gun's on call. I go, okay. He goes, what should I do? I go, what are you asking me for? And I think I caught him off guard by saying that. Mm-hmm. He's, well, I just respect what you're saying and what you know. I go, no, dude, you ain't following me. You already have the answer. He goes, 
I'm not following you. I go, yeah, you do. I go, you pay attention to the gun. You know what it's doing. I go, so you're telling me every time you clean this freaking gun, the first two rounds will not be on paper 100 yards? He goes, yes, sir. I go, after that, the gun's on call. He goes, yes, sir. I go, here's what you do. After you clean the gun, you draw two extra rounds of ammo. When you walk through that gate, when you leave your compound to go do whatever you got to do, pump them into the freaking ditch. <laughs> he goes, yep, I got it. I go, gun's on call now, right? He goes, yep. I go, put two rounds down the barrel, barrel to follow it. Evidently, that's what that barrel wants. Yep. But if yeah. that's what's really happening, you you already had the answer. He just wasn't thinking about it a little bit further. Yeah. And so, and again, you know, when the gun's got you know, like 5,000 rounds on it. Like I said, it might not go 200 rounds in between clean, but it might do 100. Right. Again, pay attention to what it's doing. Yep. And But now you stay with a 30 caliber. And this is what a lot of guys don't understand. And I get this question every time I go do the freaking classes. Well, hey, we're being told a three women wind mag will go 4,000 rounds, 4, rounds before the barrel needs to get replaced. I laugh out loud. I go, not happening. Mm-hmm. I go, A, I'm going to ask you what your accuracy requirement is. If you're telling me your accuracy spec is a minute or less with box ammo, I go, it's not happening. The 308 make versus the 308, same bore size, but mm-hmm. you basically double the amount of powder you're dumping down the bore. Right. And it's going to trash the barrel faster. So if that 308 barrel, I have plenty of barrels I've gotten back from ammunition makers and stuff. We'll cut them in, in half. We'll look at them. I use them for training tools when I go and do the classes. Mm-hmm. I have multiple barrels back. From I get every time they burn out a three-way barrel, I don't even have to make a phone call anymore. The barrel gets sent to me. The number of rounds are listed with the barrel, and um, I know a serial number. I know a lot of steel and everything it came out of. They have a um, cleaning procedure on the three-way barrels, so it's typically it's five, ten shot groups for accuracy, and they clean the barrel fifty rounds. Mm-hmm. If they're pressed for time, they'll go up to one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy rounds in between cleanings. Mm-hmm. Other than one barrel under 10,000 rounds, I have barrels that were 11, 12, 13, 14, 560 is one I actually got cut in half. They just emailed me like two months ago. They had two barrels. One was just shy of 20,000 rounds, and it was still shooting. Yeah, and you know, I, I've, I've had that same experience. We had we had one gun that was here that was, um, it was the gun that we handed, you know, to the student whenever they showed up to class and something went wrong with their gun, you know, and it was, um, mm-hmm. it was you just, yeah, it's a backup rifle, and it had, um, it's in, you know, it'd been going. I mean, it, this gun shot well. It shot really, really well. But I sent it up. I sent it up to to GA so that those guys could, um, you know, just you know, clean up the action, put a new trigger in it, and stuff like that. And then George said, "Hey, I'm going to change the barrel on this thing." I said, "Dude, don't change the barrel." I said, "It's still shooting half minute." So it, <laughs> through a little discussion that we had. Uh, he basically hung up on me and said he he said he's changing the barrel and he hung up on me and he could he could do that because he's a friend of mine so I said he probably had a reason right. <laughs> so sure enough that barrel that we had sent up there it did not have any rifling in the first six inches now keep in mind this is a three oh eight and this thing would still right. this thing would still shoot half minute and so we sat down and figured out that gun had close to twenty thousand rounds through it and um right, I believe it, it. yeah it was still it was still going strong it's just george wasn't going to let it leave his shop like that and that's a testament yeah. to his professionalism he's going to put a new barrel on it but he said man look right. at it. he sent it to me i looked at it i said yeah you're right but you were saying earlier how forgiving that 308 is and i think that that's another another testament yeah. to that in, 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 in a 300 wind mag yeah you're, you're, you're looking for a peak accuracy 12 1500 they're junk yeah it just, yeah it is what it is rate of fire 
the type of powder being fed through it, the length, the the, the length of the bullet, are all factors in in what affects barrel life. Mm-hmm. And case capacity is, is a big one, you know. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, so, me... like I said, you, know, you pay attention to it, and you know what's going on. That's right. and that's the biggest thing to try and teach get people to understand is pay attention to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I've got, you know, I've, I've swapped out so many barrels, you know, that are, are, you know, that come through here. I mean, I've, I have one gun that has, it's had 27 barrels on it so far. And it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just great to be able to do that. And it's good to, you know, be able to just watch it and know, you know, when the gun needs to go. Another question I wanted to ask you, and just for like an official answer for people that are out there, cause there's a lot of different, a lot of different, uh, speculation on this. When a barrel is shot out, okay, I have mm-hmm. seen I have seen some of them like gradually degrade accuracy, and right. I have seen some barrels quit. just freaking quit. I mean, it's like I give up. I'm killing myself. I die right now. The barrel is done. The barrel says, you know, the barrel says I quit. Why is that? Why do some of them degrade over time, and then some of them are shooting fine that morning, and then by the afternoon, it's like. No matter what you do, no matter how you clean them, I mean they there's haven't. Nothing, there's nothing. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a tomato steak. Yeah. Okay. Um, one is how the barrel's made. Okay. Um, part of this might be my opinion, but I also base it on facts that I, data that I get. Okay. So when I say data that I get, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it off of data from ammunition and bullet makers. Okay. So those guys. When they're doing testing, when they're loading ammo and doing testing, they have set procedures for everything. How they clean, when they clean, you name it. Um, so what they do there is I have much better data from them versus some guy who, you know, it can be different for a guy who shoots in Wisconsin who doesn't shoot in a really dirty environment mm-hmm. versus a guy who shoots in New Mexico in a sandstorm at times. Right. You know, it's just you, what's going down the barrel, how he's taking care of it. But there's the other thing with this though, is how the barrel is made. I do believe that button rifle barrels typically go without warning. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't lump hammer forge in there because I don't have enough data on hammer forge. Yeah. But when I, when I, when I give you an answer, some of it might be my opinion, but some of it I do based on fact. And in this case, so one of the ammunition and bullet makers, um, now we make virtually all of their test barrels exclusively. Mm-hmm. In the years past, we would only make them the 30 cal Palma barrels okay. um, back when I was at Krieger. Why? Because 90% of the Palma shooters were running Kriegers at the time. So one time they called the place in order for some Palma barrels. The guys, the guy I used to talk to in the ballistics lab, his name was Kevin. He was, hey, Frank, I need another half a dozen more Palma barrels. I go, okay. I go, hey, Kevin, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I go, you know, we make you Palma barrels all the time. Maybe one or two things here and there. How come we don't make you guys six fives? Well, he goes, you know, he goes, the owner of the place, he's been longtime friends with so-and-so barrel maker. He goes, we get them most from them. I go, Okay. I go, but you have enough data to go off of. What do you, I'm sure you've tested Palma barrels from that button maker. He goes, yeah. I go, what do you guys see in terms of barrel life? He didn't even stutter. He goes, at a minimum, the cut barrels go 15% longer. 
Okay. And 15% might not sound like a lot, but if you're talking a 300 Windmaker or a 300 Normal, you're only going to get 1,000 rounds out of it. Yeah. 15% is another 150 rounds. That's your load development. Yeah, that That's means something. Breaking in and zeroing the scope and, and your, your, your miscellaneous stuff. You're not burning the barrel up, just getting it ready for stuff. But yeah. now you talk a 308 Winchester barrel, if you're getting 10,000 rounds out of it, another 15%, that's another 1,500 rounds of shooting. Yeah, it is. So, so I do believe because button rifling work hardens the bore, yep. the lands will start to crack and wear. And you've, you've looked up in the throats. You see when you start losing those little chunks of metal off the edge of the land? Yep. That's usually when the accuracy is going to start puking on you. Yeah. When you start losing those chunks of metal. So and I think that's because of the work hardening that the button does to the bore. Whereas we don't work hard in the bore. All we're doing is cutting the grooves and we're basically shaving a tenth of a foul per, um, per pass, yeah. like I told you earlier. Well, what I would tell you is from a high power shooter's perspective, that's what I started shooting out. Service rifle and match rifle across the course, two, three, 600 yards, open sights. Right. What I would tell you is as what I would see with the cut rifle barrels back when I was at Krieger and stuff, usually they died a slow death. Yep. And... What I would tell you is the gun will shoot good at two and 300 yards, but what often you start to notice is you're back at 600. And if you normally shot a 195 on a possible score 200 with seven, eight X's, nine X's on paper, mm -hmm. what you'll notice is you're still shooting in the mid 190s, but your X count is down. Now you're only putting two or three X's on paper. Yeah. That's usually an indicator that the, that the barrel's on its last legs. It's going on you. It's dying. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, I get this with guys with 300. I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm not picking on 300 normal, but it's a good example. Well, I shot the gun at 100 yards and it still gave me half minute. Yeah. Well, when I went out to eight, nine or a thousand, it was shooting, you know, 12 inch groups. Okay. You, and you've, I'm sure you've heard that terminology, a short range load isn't a long range load. I've heard a lot I of stuff. Agree. <laughs> yep, you've heard a lot of stuff. I don't yep. necessarily agree with that. Yep. What I tell guys is, you want to know how good the gun's shooting? Shoot it at 500 yards. Yep. 500 yards, that's the mark. That'll tell you how good the gun's shooting. Don't don't take the 100-yard group all the time. Mm -hmm. Take it out and shoot it at four or 500 yards. If, if it's a half-minute gun at 100 and it would do a half minute when the gun was new at 500, so let's say two and a half inch groups. Right. But now you're shooting four inch groups at 500, it's probably a warning that the barrel's gone. The other thing that you will see when a barrel starts to die, you won't see it pressure-wise because you don't have a pressure barrel on your gun, but usually as the barrel starts to die, the pressure will go up. This is data I've gotten back on ammunition pressure test barrels. Mm -hmm. Usually the pressure will start to go up because you're, the throat's getting rougher, the amount of fouling and buildup that's in the bore of the barrel, mm -hmm. but you'll see a velocity loss. Okay, so higher and pressure and loss of velocity, which are kind of opposite of each other. Yep, they're opposite of each other, but they kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But usually, even if you just take the, the pressure out of it, right? if you all of a sudden go out to the range one day, or if you're in the middle of a match, yep. man, the gun just freaking quit shooting, all of a sudden you quit put it on a chronograph. Yep. If you all seen, if you all of a sudden see like a 50, 60, 80 feet per second velocity loss, mm -hmm. that's probably a warning right there that the barrel just puked on you. Yep, yep. So well, when you start to see that velocity loss, usually you can bump your load, chase your seating depth, and you can get the gun back in the tune for a little while. But when you see a velocity loss, that's a sign that the barrel's done. Yeah. And I, 
we get that from right talk to the ammunition guys where we're making special test barrels or or we made something special and I want feedback out of it. Right. So I know on a 165 Creedmoor barrel that we did in testing, um, it was out of the new material and that's a, that's a different topic. But what they saw there was typically the barrels died around 17, 1900 rounds. And one of the indicators is there'll be a pressure change and there'll be a sudden velocity loss. Mm-hmm. Then they know that the barrel's done yeah. and they might be able to, to squeak it out a little bit longer but they don't want to see a pressure correction of more than 2,000 PSI. And I don't think they want to see a velocity change of like 80 feet per second. Right. When they see those numbers happening, they know the barrel's done and they'll pull it from service. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, man, we're getting, we're getting our, our time up here pretty high. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was what's, what's in the future for, for Bartland? Just plugging away still. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, making stuff and keeping up with the orders the best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the way the world is going, I don't see anything getting better. Mm-hmm. So we're doing our best to keep our heads above water and, and we're trying to get the lead times down and, um, and just try to keep everybody happy and keep feeding stuff to people. Well, man, a uh, couple of things I want to, I want to thank you for one. Uh, y'all, have, y'all have supported our, our competition that we have down here yearly. And I really thank you for that. We, we appreciate it. And the shooters appreciate it, you know, being able to, to get those certificates from Bartland, you know, for barrels and things like that. And, uh, you know, hope, hopefully y'all can support us in the future. But the other thing is just, just, just the work that you put into it. You know, if I, if I screw a Bartland barrel on my gun, I'm not worried. You know what I mean? I'm really not worried. It's, uh, it's none of the, it, I'm not going to worry about if it's going to shoot good. I, I have no question about it. I know if I go out there and it's not shooting well, I know that it is definitely me. It doesn't have anything to do with the barrel. Um, I've been shooting y'all's barrels for a long time and other manufacturers too, I'll admit, but I, I want to tell you, I'm very, very impressed with the quality and I'm impressed with, uh, with the time and the effort and the precision and the knowledge that goes into that because, you know, me, myself as just the, the, the shooter, you know, I, I really don't know all the stuff that goes into, you know, having a barrel that will, you know, last longer, you know, that will be, you know, more consistent with its velocities and everything else. And you've helped answer a lot of those questions today, man. And I can't thank you enough. I appreciate you taking the time. You're you're welcome. You're welcome on everything. You're welcome on the support. We'll always help wherever we can. Um, You know, and the biggest thing, you know, that we always say too in barrel making, there's no shortcuts. No. When you start doing shortcuts, you start affecting quality and, I don't, I don't want the customer calling and complaining on the phone about something. Yeah. You know? So there's, we always say there's no shortcuts. A lot of people don't understand is a lot of those factory rifles that you buy, mm-hmm. they go, well, you look at the, the cost of a custom barrel. And I don't care if you're going to Schoen or us or Krieger, you look at the cost. One is it's, it's the amount of time we put into making the stuff. Mm-hmm. When you look at some of the production rifles, some of those guns might not have more than 60, maybe high end, maybe 200 bucks into the whole barrel. That's threads, chamber, mm-hmm. the cost of the steel, the time, everything. Right. But you, you know, the old saying is, like I said, you get what you pay for. But we, we, don't, we don't do shortcuts, bud. And that goes back to, that I believe does help the consistency from one barrel to the next. Whether you bought two today or... Um, or, um, you know, you buy one now, you buy another one a year from now, you put on the gun, hey, man, same load, same dope, the gun was on call, that's cool. Yep. That goes back to consistency. Right, right. 
Well, again, uh, thank you. Thank you for it all, man. And especially taking the time because I know you're busy and, and we had a, you know, we had some, some, uh, issues getting this, this podcast together, but man, I cannot tell yeah, you how I much you, I appreciate I it. I know you had, you're welcome. I know you had some other questions, so maybe we can do another one in the near future down the road and take care of some of the other stuff that you get questions on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. If I could get you back because I'm not, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> yeah. No, anytime you want, Jacob, just let me know. All right, sir. I appreciate it. Y'all take care of yourself. And uh, everybody out there, this is uh, Frank Green from Bartland Barrels. Uh, hope y'all enjoyed this. Send us an email at roap at riflesonly.com. If you have any questions for Frank, I can pass them off and, uh, and you know, forward the email to him. I'm sure he wouldn't mind answering questions if you have them. But again, Frank, thank you so much. You've been a wealth of knowledge today. You're welcome, Jacob. Have a good one, man. All right. Take care, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. Bye.